You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. So I travel a decent amount. You know, those of you who end up becoming some businessman one day, you'll probably travel more than I do, but I, I do get to travel a decent amount. In fact, tomorrow morning, uh, flying out, going to be gone for the rest of the, the, the week. Last week, uh, before overflow, flew in from Nashville. Wasn't even sure I was going to get here on time because I fl- I f- my flight got in at like 4.45 at Love Field, but then you know I-35, and that was just terrible and had to have some come-to-Jesus conversations on the way here. But um, I've learned to pack light. Uh, I- I've learned to pack light because I don't like to carry around big, bulky baggage. Um, I don't like to carry around, you know, heavy baggage. Uh, so I've, I've learned to, you know, especially like this trip tomorrow, the trip last week, uh, one bag, that's it. Carry-on bag, small carry-on bag. In fact, even it wasn't but half full because I don't want to have big bags. I want to have small, easy-to-carry bags. In fact, when I used to live in Lubbock, before this, I was in West Texas uh, serving at Texas, I almost said Texas A&M. Why would I say that? Texas Tech. And uh, my family at that point still lived in Dallas. And so I would fly home somewhat frequently to visit them just for like, you know, a day and a half or two days. And so short trips. And so literally, and there's picture proof of this somewhere. If I called my mom right now, she would vouch for this uh, because she's ashamed of me for it. But there were some days, literally, I packed a Walmart sack <laughs> and uh, my underwear, a change of underwear and, uh, and, uh, and some basketball shorts. I'd come home, sleep in that. And then while I was sleeping, I'd throw the clothes I was wearing in the wash and then just wear them home on the flight the next day. Kept a toothbrush at my parents' house. Uh, I like to pack light. Um, and, and, and here's why I share this with you to start tonight. Uh, tonight we are talking about baggage. And the reality is uh, we've all brought baggage into the room tonight. In fact, some of you have brought some really heavy baggage into the room tonight. And I'm not talking about, you know, if you brought your backpack and it's got your Organic Chem book in there. Okay, I've seen those. Or your stats book or whatever it is. And I'm not talking about you girls who bring these like uh, beach bags that you call a purse that you could fit like 17 towels in. I'm not talking about those either. Uh, I'm talking about a different kind of baggage. The baggage that I'm talking about is the baggage that represents and is full of the sin in our life, past and present, and the guilt and the shame that comes from that. And let me just tell you, I wish that I could say that the baggage that I brought in here tonight looked the same as the baggage I'm going to be traveling with tomorrow, light and small, but that's just not true. You need to know this about me. The baggage in my life representing my sin and my brokenness and my, my guilt and shame that came from that, that, that's bulky baggage, big and bulky baggage. You know, two weeks ago, last week Coleman was here teaching from Galatians 5. Two weeks ago when we were in Genesis 2 and 3, we, we saw three things. One, we saw how sex was designed by God to point us to God. You remember that? Uh, then we saw how sex, uh, or we saw how we make ourselves most vulnerable to sexual sin when all we have is a secondhand relationship with God. Really, when all we have is a secondhand relationship with God, we make ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of sin, but we're honing in on sexual sin, uh, relationship goals series, that's why. Then we saw, the third thing we saw is, is how we as fellas need to man up and lead the charge by being set apart, by being different, by being holy. Now, it's one thing to talk about the fact that sex was designed by God to point us to God. It's one thing to talk about uh, how we are made most vulnerable to sexual sin. It's, it's one thing to talk about how we as guys, and honestly girls too, need to be godly, need to pursue holiness and being set apart. It's another thing altogether to acknowledge the fact that most of us in this room have failed at all of that stuff. Most of us in this room have a broken past. Most of us in this room are carrying bags. 
And honestly, most of us have a lot of baggage. Baggage full of all kinds of sin and shame and guilt that comes from that. Like some of you, if you were to unzip these bags that you're, that you're carrying tonight, it'd be full of, many of you, porn addictions. Guys and girls. Many of you, it's your, you're not being sexually pure with the girl, the guy that you're dating. Man, many of you, you're struggling with these homosexual desires or whatever it is. That's in your bag. Some of you, you've lost your virginity. Some of you, you're carrying with you the guilt and the shame. In fact, I would guess that maybe not just some of you. Many of you, you're carrying with you the guilt and the shame of, of a past abortion. And some of you, I have no doubt that there are girls in this room who you're scared right now because you're late and you've been sleeping with your boyfriend or whoever and you're, you're, you're afraid that you're pregnant and you're starting to wrestle with, what do I do with this? And some of you guys, maybe in the past, you got to go pregnant and you ran. You left her to deal with it. Some of you carry the, the burden, the shame, the confusion, the personal disgust of, of past sexual abuse. Some of you, I know for a fact, in this room were raped, molested, even violated by other family members. So listen to me, tonight I want to answer the question that I know so many of you have. What if I've screwed up? What if my past is littered with with sexual sin? What if me and my girlfriend or my boyfriend that you're sitting next to right now, what if we're sleeping together? What if I'm not a virgin? I mean, it's not like I I can go back and change that. What if I'm struggling with homosexuality? What if I'm addicted to pornography? What if I was raped? So many of you, what if... Your question is, what if I was molested? What if, I was, what if I'm being abused right now? I'm broken. What about me? There's so many bags full of sin and brokenness in this room tonight. In fact, you know, I, I kind of alluded to the fact last week and the week before that this is what we were going to be talking about. So I have no doubt that there's some people who didn't even come tonight because you knew we were talking about bags. And so now they're listening to this, you know, fast forward two nights from now when the podcast is up. They're listening online. They're listening from a distance. Wherever you are, if you're in this room right now, if you're, if you're watching this, listening to this later on, I, I, my prayer for you is that right now you would see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Now I want to recap real quick where we've been in this series so far. We picked up in Genesis 2.18 five weeks ago. And we saw prior to that God had created everything. Everything was really good. Then Genesis 2.18, he creates the man. He says for the first time, it was not good for man to be alone. He says not good for the first time when he sees the man is alone. So then uh, we, we kind of saw how he went about creating the woman and, uh, and, then, and brings them together. And uh, everything was perfect in the garden. And we see when Adam saw Eve, man, Adam was in love. Apparently Eve was in love. Perfect romance story for you girls that are looking for something good to watch. Go read Genesis 2 later tonight. And then Adam and Eve get married. and There was no sin. No sin. They get married. There was no sin. No fighting. No arguing. Ladies, listen to this. Perfect communication. <laughs> Adam actually listened to what she was saying. Not only that, yeah, you can wait, wait for this next one to snap. Adam not only listened, but actually understood what she was saying. And and fellas, here's your chance to snap or say amen. And because there was no sin, because there was no arguing, because there was no fighting, because there was good communication every day in the garden was naked Monday, naked Tuesday, naked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Sex was good. They were naked, it says, and not ashamed. Fellas, nobody's going to say amen to that? All right. But then something happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with one simple bite of an innocently delicious-looking piece of fruit, sin busts out onto the scene and screws everything up. And ever since this moment in Genesis 3, 6, history's been on this sin-filled trajectory. And every human, that includes you and me, and every event has in some way been infected and imperfected by sin. And because of that, not a single person came in here empty-handed tonight. All of us brought baggage in here tonight. All of us brought sin and brokenness in here tonight. And many of us brought brokenness due to sexual sin. So I want you to see what Adam and Eve do with their baggage. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says, in the eyes of... I'll wait for you to get there. I want you to see this. When you've got it, say, got it. Seriously? Only like half of you have found Genesis 3. (laughs) Start at the front and start turning. All right, here we go. Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, And the eyes of both were opened. They've just taken the fruit of the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here's what happens. Just like you and I do, Adam and Eve tried to hide their sin. Now for them, they hid behind fig leaves and, and trees, bushes. You know, for us, we hide behind so many different things. For those of us in this room, we hide behind nice, nice clothes, good grades, Good jobs, parties, fake smiles, fake tans, fraternities, sororities, accolades in sports or whatever it is you do, busy schedules, success, social status, Instagram likes. We hide behind so many things. But listen, maybe more than anything else, we hide behind religion. A.W. Tozer, in The Purpose of Man, a book that he wrote said, they saw their nakedness and in a state of spiritual disorientation gathered fig leaves to hide their nakedness. Thus was born fig leaf religion. Religion always focuses on the externals and Adam and Eve were consumed with their outward condition. They had lost focus of their inward beauty and purpose and no longer satisfied the criteria of fellowship with their creator. We tried to hide our brokenness and sin behind our religion. So we go to church. We come to overflow. We go to Bible studies. We make sure that we join a community. We tweet the quotes from the sermon. We play the part. Many of you, you hide your baggage behind leadership opportunities in the church. Many of you, you're hiding behind serving in the church 
or serving on the greeting team or parking team or whatever it is. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, he says, look, you look great on the outside, but the reality is you're dead on the inside. He says, you look great on the, ins- or on the outside, but the reality is you are on the inside or still carrying and, and lugging around all these big, bulky, heavy bags. Now think about this. Why is it natural instinct to us to try to hide our baggage? A few years ago, with two other pastors from this church, uh, I, went to, uh, I went to Asia. And uh, right before we left for Asia, somebody else in the church said, hey, um, a friend of mine who lives where we were going, a missionary there, and this is pretty commonplace, this to happen, was like, uh, asked this person if, if we could take with us something to them. They, they couldn't get it there. They wanted to get it here and wanted us to bring it to them. And uh, before asking what it was, I was like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Uh, what is it? And uh, the person was like, well, uh, it's a breast pump. And I was like, some of you guys are like, what is that? Um, I was going to say Google it, but don't do that. Uh, anyways, um, they're like, it's a breast pump. And I was like, oh, man, um, I should have asked before I said yes to that. But anyways, long story short, uh, they ended up giving it to one of the other pastors that was going, uh, going, going with us. And, um, and so we, we show up to the airport, and it's just the three of us, three of us dudes traveling. And, uh, and this guy shows up, the, the pastor, he doesn't work anymore, his, his name was Jeff Dooley, um, he, he shows up, and uh, he's uh, got this, honestly, like, man purse that he's carrying in, so strike one. Uh, but then, on top of it, like, not even, like, buried in it, at the very top is this breast pump sitting at the top. And I see him walk into the airport, and I'm like, oh, heck no. Uh, we're not going to be walking around this airport, us three dudes, and you're carrying a man purse with a breast pump sitting at the top of it, okay? We're not doing that. And then, from here, we're flying to Atlanta, then Paris, then another airport. We're not walking through all these airports, just us three dudes, and there's a breast pump, okay? Give me the breast pump. I'm gonna, I've got some room in my check-in. I'll check it in my, in my bag. So I put it in my check-in bag. We checked the bags, and, uh, you know, whatever. Got to hide that thing. Now, it's a natural instinct for us to try to hide our baggage because it's embarrassing. In this case, it's kind of gross. We don't want to look at it. We don't want others to look at it. We look at what we're hauling around in our bags and we think, well, man, if people only knew what was in here, like if they unzipped my bag and looked in there and saw the porn addiction or saw what I'm doing with my girlfriend or boyfriend or or saw what happened in my past, even the stuff that I had no control, man, people wouldn't love me. People wouldn't even talk to me. They'd be ashamed for me. And so many in this room, you look at what you're hauling around in your bag and you think to yourself, man, I have no worth because of what happened two years ago. Some of you, you look at what's in your, in your bag and you think, man, I'm, I'm broken. Who wants something that's broken? It's what you say to yourself. Some of you look inside your bag and you think, well, I'm dirty. And nobody wants something that's dirty, you say to yourself. Some of you look in there and say, I'm not new. I've been used. I've lost my virginity. I can't change that. Who would want that? Listen, the reality is, if it had been up to Adam and Eve, the story would have ended there with them hiding, covering themselves up with the fig leaves, hiding behind the... If the story was up to many of us, if not, really all of us in this room, the story would end with us trying to cover up 
the junk in our life, the baggage that we carry. Keep it hidden. But here's the thing. It wasn't up to Adam and Eve. And it's not up to you either. You look on verse, verse 9, Genesis 3, 9. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I, I, I want you to underline that five-word phrase, but the Lord God called. Now, I've said this so many times before, but the word but, it's one of the smallest words in the English dictionary, but it's had one of the greatest impacts on all of history. It's like the stop sign of Scripture. And we cannot read Scripture like people going back to Asia. We cannot read Scripture like the people in the country we went to in Asia drive, okay? They drive way too fast. They drive way too carelessly. They, they drive way too dangerously. They have these things called auto rickshaws. They're basically a, a taxi, which, you know, if you have ever been to New York City, you know taxi drivers, they're crazy. Um, but now, like, if you were to go to this country in Asia and see how they drive their taxis there, you'd think, okay, the New York drivers, they're crazy. The ones here, they're on co- crack cocaine, and they're crazy. Uh, auto rickshaw is basically like a motorcycle with a, a wheel in the front and two wheels in the back, and, and you just, like, hop in there. You can fit about three, four, or five if you want to squeeze really tight, and then they just, you know, weave in and out of all these other cars. It's, it's almost like, you probably don't even remember this game, Mario Kart on Nintendo 64. Yeah, it's like a real-life game of Mario Kart, except if, like, your rickshaw gets hit, you don't just lose a balloon, you freaking die, okay? <laughs> um, it's terrifying. We can't read Scripture like people drive there. We can't just carelessly speed by this word. It's the stop sign of Scripture. It's dangerous to run a stop sign. It's dangerous to speed by this word in Scripture because the story, and specifically in this place, pretty much every place you see this word in Scripture, it takes a big turn. So it says, but the Lord God called. It says, but the Lord God, remember two weeks ago, we saw how the serpent, Satan, in the garden, he actually, you know, up, up until the conversation in Genesis 3 took place, every time we see the word God, we see the word Lord in all caps before it. Every time. Until the serpent starts to speak, and he doesn't call him Lord God. He strips him of the most important part of his title, Lord, and just calls him God, as if to diminish his, his bigness, his holiness, his righteousness, his proper place. And as a result, Eve actually falls prey to this deceptive tactic by Satan, and she stops calling him Lord God. She starts to call him God as well. It kind of goes to this, this fact, and I talked about this two weeks ago, how, man, so many of us, we, we view God as like our homeboy, our bro, whatever. He's not. He is our Lord. And many of us in this room, yeah, we acknowledge, oh, yeah, God, whatever, I got this relationship with God, but you don't have the Lord relationship with God. He's not in his proper place in your life. And so you see here, so Genesis 3 up to this point, it's just been God, 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 whatever. But then here, what do you see? It says, but the Lord God. We see that title given back to him. Here's what I want you to see. The God who they had created isn't the God who shows up. No matter how we diminish him in our minds, in our speech, or even in our actions, he is still the Lord God. He's still the creator God. He's still the holy God. He's still the powerful God. And that's the God who shows up. And it says, but the Lord God called. What you have to see from these five words is that while you're trying to hide your baggage, while you're trying to hide your sin from God, while you're trying to hide yourself from God, what is God doing? It says he's calling out to you. There's two things I want you to see tonight, and here's the first. 
God is calling us into an honest confrontation with our baggage. Listen to me. God is calling you into an honest confrontation with your baggage, with your brokenness, with your past and present sin. So going back to Asia, uh, so we, you know, we pack, packed that breast pump on my check-in, checked in and everything, and then uh, we were in Dallas at this point, and then uh, because of some bad weather in Atlanta, we were going to fly through Atlanta, Atlanta to Paris, Paris to our, our final destination, and bad weather, there were like tornadoes in Atlanta, so our flight in Dallas got delayed going to Atlanta. Well, we were flying Delta, and Delta's based in Atlanta, so the flight from Atlanta to Paris was also Delta, um, so that flight waited on us. So we were, we were late getting to Atlanta, but our flight waited on us to go to Paris. So <clears throat> we flew into Paris, but we were like two or three hours late. Because of that, we missed our next flight. We were going to be changing, you know, partner of Delta, but not Delta. So they had to fly on. So as a result, we ended up having to completely change airline carriers. And, and, uh, and, and then as a result, we ended up flying through different, lo- I think we flew through Dubai on that trip and then to our, our final destination. Uh, but because of that, um, we lost our bags. Our bags got lost. So when we got to our final place, our bags weren't there. Any of you ever lost bags before when you've been flying? Man, the airline industry is not very uh, efficient. That's a lot of hands. So what do you do when you lose a bag? Well, you, you, uh, you first you go to the, the lost luggage counter of death and frustration, right? Um, which, you know, in America... It's frustrating enough. There's one, you got to wait in line because everybody apparently loses their bags every time they fly. So you're in this long line. And then when you finally get to the person at the desk, they're really hacked off and angry. And honestly, you can't blame them because everybody they talk to all day long is really hacked off and angry. So you get there and they're already like mad at you. And you're like, I didn't even do, any- I didn't even do anything to you. Uh, why are you mad? Uh, and then you're like, well, shoot, you're mad. I'm mad now, you know. Um, so it's not a good experience even here in America. Well, now Consider internationally, you throw in the language barrier, and it's like 10 times worse or 100 times worse than Spirit. So anyways, we, uh, we go to the lost luggage counter in this country. They don't speak our language. They, the people at the counter kind of spoke English, but not really, you know what I mean? And so we, we go there, and they're like, well, okay, what's your name? So we put our name down on this paper. Then they take our, our baggage claim ticket and get the number and the tracking code and everything. And then they always, same thing in America, they ask you, what does your bag look like? Well, mine is like the basic black bag, you know. And so I'm like, well, it's black and, you know, rectangular. And they're like, okay, well, so is everybody else's. Uh, so they're like, what's in your bag? And I was like, well, I got clothes and shoes and underwear and, I don't know, like a toothbrush and toiletries. And they're like, well, so does everybody else. Do you, they're like, do you have anything that stands out in your bag? And I'm like, <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of look around and, you know, the, the two guys, Jeff and Doug, are standing right next to me and, I kind of leaned forward, and I was like, yeah, I have a breast pump in my bag. <laughs> and she didn't hear me or understand what I said, so I kind of, leaning in, I was like, I, I have a breast pump in my bag. And she was like, uh, I do not know what breast pump is. And I'm like, Shh. I can hear you. So she was like, what is that? So she grabs the person, you know, next to her, and, and, he, and she's like, says something to him to her or whatever. And, and so she asked me, what, what, what is this in your bag? And I was like, I have a breast pump in my bag. And they're like, huh? Bre-, you know, when you're talking to somebody who doesn't speak English well, what do you naturally do? You get louder and louder and louder as if that helps, you know, breast pump in my bag. Breast, I have a breast, and finally I just go, I have a breast pump in my bag. And they're like, oh. 
And this lady then proceeds to, she looks at me, and then she looks at Jeff and Doug, and then she looks at my chest, and then she just like giggles and writes down and then disappears. It's humiliating. I tried to make up for it on the way back, kind of hoping my bags would get lost so I'd have to do this again, but this time I packed, I always buy knives when I go to the places. I packed like seven knives in my bag right at the top, you know. And uh, I was hoping my bags would get lost so I could be like, you know, what do you have in your bag? I got some knives in my bag. You want to check those things out? But my bags didn't get lost. So listen, God is calling us into an honest confrontation with our baggage. God is calling us into an honest confrontation with this stuff that we don't want people to know about or see. And that's exactly what, if we were to read on all the way through Genesis 3, verse 9 through 19, that's what that's all about. But I want to point out two things from these verses. First, look at verse 9. It says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam didn't want to deal with his sin because he was afraid. So I think we can connect with this because I think many of you, many of us, were scared of what others will think. Many of, many of you are scared of what the consequences will be. Many of you, you're scared that God won't accept you. Many of you, you're unwilling to deal with the baggage that you're carrying because you're afraid. So what do you do? You try to hide it. One, you hide it from yourself because you want to forget about it. You don't even want to see it there. You hide it from others. You definitely don't want them to see it. And you even try to hide it from God. But listen, God is calling you into an honest confrontation with those very things that you are trying to hide. You look at verse, uh, verse 11. So he said, this is God talking, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman... Yeah, you picked up on it. <laughs> the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And girls, you don't get out of this either. The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve, they didn't want to deal with their sin because neither was even willing to own up to their sin. I mean, it's kind of funny what happens. You already kind of picked up on it. God's like, hey, man, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat of? And Adam's like, that woman, that woman that actually, now that I think of it, God, that woman that you created, you remember that time? God, you remember that time you, like, put me to sleep, and then you, like, yanked, you stole my stinking rib and then made her, made that? So it's really kind of your fault because she made me do it, but you created her, so you kind of made her, made me do it. It's her. I mean, he doesn't hesitate. He's like, the woman did it. <laughs> Throws her straight under the bus. Fellas, sadly, this is how, how so many of us are. That's not my fault she's smoking gorgeous. It's not my fault that I can't keep my lips off her face. You know, whatever it is. It's not my fault I got her pregnant. Well, scientifically, <laughs> I think that's going to be kind of hard to disprove or prove or whatever. But Eve, I mean, she does really the same thing. Now, it sounds a little bit more of a deeper response, you know, but Eve blames it on Satan. I mean, first of all, give her credit. She didn't just throw Adam under the bus. But again, 
I think so many of you ladies respond just like Eve. You say things that, that on the surface sound more deeper and, and more like, I don't know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Honorable. You say things like, well, you know, I love him and he loves me. Or you say things like, well, I mean, we, we've talked about marriage. We're planning on getting married. I mean, we're in, we're in school. We, our parents told us we can't get married until after we graduate. Your answers sound much deeper than the guys, but they're still wrong. So, so Adam and Eve, they didn't want to deal with their sin because neither was willing to even own up to their sin being their sin. And look, the same is true with us. So what do we do? We, we blame someone else. But again, God is calling you into an honest confrontation with those various things that you are unwilling to own up to. Again, Genesis 3.9 says, but the Lord God called. God is calling us into an honest confrontation with our baggage. But there's something else you got to see. Uh, the story doesn't stop there. If you read on, God explains to the man, the woman, and to the serpent uh, the consequences of their sin. Then you get to verse 20. And I want you to see this. Verse 20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Listen, not only is, is God calling us into an honest confrontation with our baggage, but God is also calling us into an honest confrontation with his grace. Now remember, we have to see all of this in light of the bigger story. I mean, now we're on page three. We were on page two. Now we're on page three of the 1,000-page saga. And I've said this the past few weeks. You know, what happened in the beginning ultimately foreshadows what will happen in the end. Read Revelation. And what will happen in the end ultimately brings clarity to what happened in the beginning. Read Genesis. But the cool thing is, and even the more pertinent thing to right now is, what happened in the beginning, what will happen in the end, <clears throat> actually gives meaning to what's happening right now. One day, all of us will stand fully exposed before God. We won't be able to hide anything from him. All the layers that we use now to cover up what we really look like underneath, all the baggage that we're carrying around, those layers are going to be removed. All of our bags are going to be unzipped and flung wide open. And it doesn't matter if you've got a, a breast pump in there, stash of knives, or a whole list of names of people that you've slept with, it's all going to be exposed. And the only way that any of us will be able to stand naked and unashamed before God is if we have first been married to God in Christ. You remember that? Here's another way to say it. The only way that any of us will be able to stand naked and unashamed before God is if we have first been clothed by God in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. It says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. Hear that? The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then, say, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times do you see the word clothe in there? Twice blatantly, twice implied. Everything revolves there around the word clothe. You look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and 
Paul writes, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Perfect example of how this ultimately gives meaning to what's happening right now. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin. And then what did he do? What's it say? Clothed them. Listen, the story of Genesis takes place in the Garden of Eden. The story of Genesis 3 takes place in the Garden of Eden. And and Adam and Eve stood naked and ashamed because of what had happened at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you keep reading. And eventually you get to another garden. Eventually you get to another tree. Eventually you get to another moment in Scripture when a man stood naked and ashamed. And it was in that garden, and it was on that tree, and it was in that moment that God, by His grace, chose to forever alter the trajectory of history that was set in motion by Genesis 3.6. In the first garden, Sin and death came into the world. In the other garden, sin and death were defeated by righteousness and life. At one tree, Satan deceived. But at the other tree, Satan was destroyed. In one moment, Adam's nakedness brought down a curse of brokenness and and defeat of every man and woman to come. But in the other moment... Christ's nakedness defeated that curse and offered an abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness for all who would receive it. And if you think I'm going too far to stretch that and make that work, Romans 5, 17. It's not my original idea. Paul said it first. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God is calling us into an honest confrontation with our baggage. But God is also calling us into an honest confrontation with his grace. Now, I told you that the word but changes everything, and I I say that because it does. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if you were to read Romans 5, 6 through 10, you see this Almost said exactly the same three times, except instead it says, <clears throat> verse 6, but God shows his love for us and that while we were weak, Christ died for us. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10 it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still enemies of him, Christ died for us. So hear what that's saying. It says, while we were still sinners, even while you struggle with sexual sin, <clears throat> Even though you're not a virgin, even though you're addicted to pornography or whatever it is, Jesus died for you. He says, while we were still enemies. In other words, even though some of you right now, you stand directly opposed, like you got tricked to come in here. Somebody said, hey, we're coming to this thing, party, free beer, whatever, and uh, you're here now. And you stand directly opposed to God. But even as you stand there directly opposed to God, Jesus died for you. 
And it says, even while we were still weak. What a powerful message to those of you in the room who have suffered sexual abuse, rape, incest, whatever it is. God wants you who were weak and were unable to stop what was happening to you to be confronted with his grace. Listen, Jesus died for you. And so my prayer for tonight is this. My prayer is that your baggage would have a violent collision with God's grace. And when God's grace collides with our baggage, his grace always wins. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.